This is the MLW Radio Network. It's time to start your day the right way with front row material. Starring ECW legends Jerry and Mike Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freeland. How was the shower? It was good. Are we on? <laughs> what kind of question is going on? You have a guest. You're talking about Jerry in the shower. <laughs> I I know. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to kind of open things up here because Jerry was busy today doing a lot of a lot of yard work today. Is that right? Yes, I'm wore out. I think I went from one o'clock till seven thirty tonight. Oh my god! So wow. Yeah, I said I am shot, and Mikey says, "From what? Walking?" <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Well, you told me this afternoon before you started gardening that you were tired from your walk. Oh, oh, well, yeah, I forgot. The wife and I went. We always try and go for a morning walk now. But uh, must be rough staying home every day, Jerry. Oh, I, <laughs> I've, I've been killing myself with all this landscaping, and then, and then I told I came in. I told Pam, and I came in for just take a little lunch break. I told her I said I forgot how hard how hard work shoveling is. I said I wish I was still in my twenties, and she goes. Me too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Shit. Let's get right into it. So joining us this week, Evan Husney from the dark side of the ring is joining us. Evan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. It is uh, it is our pleasure. So, so many things we want to kind of get into with you this evening, but... Um, so congratulations on the show. It's it's incredibly successful. I know a lot of people on social media are always talking about it, always tweeting about it. What does it feel like for something that you've birthed to become uh, so prominent and, and so popular? Huh. Uh, it's wild. I mean, it's uh, growing up, like especially as a wrestling fan. Like I've been a wrestling fan since I've been you know five. And so not only just, you know, the fact that there's a show that people seem to like, but also that it's, you know, about things that I loved as a kid. And so it's kind of reconnecting with all of that. And then also meeting a lot of the people that I looked up to as a kid. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a trip, like, for sure. And so we're just super excited that people are into it. So kind of taking a step backwards here. So how did, how did the whole Dark Side of the Ring even get started? Was it something that you had always kind of had the back of your mind? Was it something that you and your partner kind of came together on? Or what was the what was the genesis of the show? Basically just that I was working at Vice as a producer and making uh, like, I would say about, you know, between 20 and 30 minute long documentaries for the internet. And uh, I had was fortunate enough to get in the position to be able to make a lot of things about stuff that I, that I was passionate about, things I liked as a kid. And I always wanted to do something with wrestling. I just wasn't sure what that was going to be. My best friend Jason Eisner, who who does the show with me, we both were like really getting into shoot interviews and like really getting into like stories about territory or wrestling and that kind of a thing. And it was actually the the Bruiser Brody story that really caught our attention. And again, this needs to be ex- reexamined, and it kind of felt like like several generations of wrestling fans like don't even know about this story, like what happened to Bruiser Brody and how he died. And so we felt like it was ripe for rediscovery. So we just kind of. You started with that, and we just really tried to piece together doing a documentary about that, and it just slowly evolved into becoming a, a TV show and a, other stories in wrestling. But the Bruiser Brody story was like the proof concept pilot that that Vice wind up, uh, wound up greenlighting, and so we spent all of 2017 just doing that and trying to figure out like what this show would be. You know, Vice was the only people in the game that we really pitched it to. Is I, I was already working there. They had just started a TV channel, like right around the same time we came up with the idea. And, you know, Vice doesn't really have much of a history with wrestling or hasn't really covered much wrestling stuff before. I mean, they're, they're, they're more so like news and pop culture and, you know, more mainstream stuff, you know. And so they, they kind of had like a little bit of a stigma that, you know, exists with wrestling in the, in the entertainment world, you know. And so we, it kind of took a lot of salesmanship to be like, well, here's this interesting world that has birthed a lot of very compelling human stories. And it was just kind of us trying to show that there's a lot of stories that would appeal to anyone that's taken place inside this world. And that's kind of how we tried to position it. Now, were they fans of wrestling themselves or were they, they kind of just skeptic? I would say more, more skeptics, but like, but they, they didn't, they weren't naysaying it. They were like, 
they they saw the potential that this would be like you know wild stories that we're telling you know because i think you you, you kind of explained the bruiser brody story like what happened to him like first of all like the world he came from like during like the kayfabe era of wrestling and when you know wrestlers had to really like protect the business and they had to kind of live their gimmicks, you know, in the public and they had to, you know, uh, do all that stuff. And it was kind of like a like a strict, you know, like Omerta code that they had to live by in terms of, you know, protecting wrestling. So we could explain that. And then you kind of explain, like, here's a guy who was killed by another wrestler and his attacker got off because his, you know, Bruiser Brody's wrestling character was introduced into the court case. You know, and th- he basically got off for self-defense because the jury believed that Brody was this menacing heel character. And then you have this weird mixture of you know reality and this weird mixture of wrestling fiction and then in the middle of a murder case. So that was just like, that's compelling to anybody. And so that's what we started with. And when we, when we were trying to put the rest of the show together, we tried to find stories that have that theme of like the real world and the wrestling world kind of colliding. Wow. Now, with the Brody story, let me ask you this question. I mean, obviously, it was it was your baby, so obviously, I know it probably has a a certain place in your heart. You know, being the first one, did you find that a story such as that one is is difficult to do when there's so much emotion into it? Not not that not all the stories have emotion, but something like that, where you know you could clearly see that on camera were were moved big time by what was going on. Was that hard in your first episode to be like, oh, well, let's get going, and then all of a sudden, oh, we just we just hit on something that's uh, we, we hit on a nerve. Definitely, like for me personally, it was it was like the first story that I had really done where I felt like, you know, these interviews were going to be intense, you know, for a, a couple of different reasons. Uh, for one, like with Tony Atlas, I would almost say that the interview that we did with Tony Atlas, which we did two different interviews with him. And um, I would say that the PTSD that he has still from this incident, like came back like that, like came back full on. Like we actually like, you know, he had a little bit of like a, I, I, I would say like a, a pretty intense emotional moment that you don't even see in the episode, but something that happened in between filming it. And so, you know, that was a new thing for me, uh, for sure. Uh, and then talking to his family, obviously this is a family who's lost, you know, their father, their husband. And so that was, a, a I've never done an interview with somebody, you know, about that before. And then of course you interview someone like Abdul the Butcher, you know, and then you get introduced into what's like to be worked, you know, for the entire interview and uh, kind of having to separate, you know, fact from fiction in that, which is something that I think Jason and I have honed a little bit more as we've been making more of these episodes. And let me ask you this question. So when we talk about celebrities in, in movie stars and whatnot, they themselves don't really have an issue with being able to separate their character on screen versus who they are as a person, Right. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Maverick is played by Tom Cruise, but he doesn't go around calling himself Maverick. I mean, at least to my knowledge, he doesn't. Do you right. get the feeling that, <laughs> that that wrestlers are a very eclectic group of people, meaning what they do is more it's, – it's more – it's more personal to them as far on a, on a emotional level than it is just to play a role or to play a character? Well, definitely. I think there's a couple different reasons for that. I mean, you know, and I obviously have never – uh, done it before just my observation but it's it's kind of like you know because wrestling has existed as like this blurred lines kind of thing between real and being part of a show you know over the course of its long history i think it kind of like it, it kind of creates that like the kind of environment like randy savage i think at, at some point in his life started as randy poffo and you know was this guy who wanted to be a baseball player you know had hopes and dreams and then eventually one day he gets introduced to you know wrestling from his father and he gets roped into the show and then the the macho man character takes over and then i think when that switch was turned on i don't know if that switch ever really fully turned off and then i also think um that because it takes place in front of a like a live, you know, you're, you're, you're in a live atmosphere, you know, and you're, and you're, and you're dealing with the rush of adrenaline from a crowd. And it's like, not just being on this big screen, it's like, you know, like wrestling is really the art of getting the reaction out of an audience. Because like, once you hone that craft, it's just something that you kind of take with you everywhere. And it kind of becomes part of your personality. It must f- after a certain point, I would imagine. Well, I think it becomes more personal and stuff than say someone in Hollywood playing a part because we actually do it. Yeah, and we don't have a stuntman doing it for us, and we don't have cushy crash pads or anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like being also. It's like it's like being an actor 
but like you know playing always a method role and then always doing your own stunts <laughs> yeah so obviously yeah. before you become a producer at vice and obviously then you you climb up the ranks and you start creating your own content if we go a little bit more backwards in time who was it in wrestling that got you interested in it to begin with was it one person was it maybe <laughs> a group of people was there a moment or an event that you went to or saw like what was the what was the catalyst of your uh your affliction with wrestling it's a funny story i was introduced to the world this will show my age but i was introduced to the world of wrestling through a big boss man action figure that's how i started with wrestling and when like, you were five yeah yeah so yeah, so I was like, I think I was four or five or something like that. Well, don't and like, feel old because I wrestled him back in my 1990. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. probably what we're talking about. <laughs> so I get this big boss man figure, and you know, I'm just like in rapture because you know, when you're a kid, like stuff like tops and stuff is like that's cool, you know. And so I just love this toy. And then eventually, I think WWF came to town, uh, and they were gearing up for WrestleMania seven, I believe. So. It was gearing up for the Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter uh, conflict, you know. And so uh, I went to one of the house shows leading up to that WrestleMania. And, and I was also a big G.I. Joe fan at the time, like huge G.I. Joe uh, oh, wow. mark. And so I, I knew Sergeant Slaughter from the cartoon. And so I'm going into the building as a Sergeant Slaughter fan. And so I'm like so, – but then to the horror of my parents – they're understanding that Sergeant Slaughter is now a traitor to the American people, and now he's this Iraqi sympathizer, you know? But that's not registering with me, is, you know, at all. So I'm cheering on my G.I. Joe action figure that's in the ring, and then all of a sudden, like, who the hell is this bald, like, blonde skullet guy coming in and, like, beating up my fucking G.I. Joe? And so I got, like, so mad, and I actually was crying. Like, I was, like, I was, like crying because my, my Iraqi G.I. Joe was being beat up, and my parents were like, oh, my God. Does he have some like you know issues in his development that we should be aware of? Because <laughs> he's not understanding like the heel and the babyface idea. Oh, no. And you so, and calling so your parents maggots were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was the problem. But that that's that that was my introduction was like basically into that, and then I just like then I just got into it like huge and and just loved it. Got all the toys, wow. and then and then that pretty much on and off until the Attitude Era. And then through to the Attitude Era, and I and I just will throw this in here because I think it's necessary being that we're, I'm talking to you guys, is that I do remember, I think, I'm trying to remember what year this was. It was like probably 98 that I, I remember the TV, uh, the, 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 the TV in my bedroom. I, I could go, this is Minnesota, that I could like, on some of the higher up channel, one day, I'm, I'm seeing scrambled wrestling on TV and it's, and the picture's like barely there. It's like coming in and coming out and i just all of a sudden hear this wrestler saying that he's the whole fucking show is what i hear on the tv but i can't see it and then all of a sudden i'm like this this is wrestling right and then they're saying fuck on the show what the fuck is this you know as a kid, and I'm like trying to figure out you, know, you can't go you know google's not a thing like yet you know i'm trying to figure out like what is it and then eventually I found out that it was ECW, right? And then that became my life. And I remember telling you this, Jerry, when we like hung out last year, that at the Mall of America, do you remember that there was that RF video kiosk in the Mall yep. of America? Yeah. Okay. So as a kid, I would put the money in and I took the bus down to the Mall of America and I would go <laughs> to the kiosk and that's how I got all the ECW tapes when I'm like a teenager. And that's how I saw like – Shit that I shouldn't have been seeing at that age. That's when I saw it. Right. And you, know, you, you probably re-traumatized your parents by walking through the kitchen chanting, she's a crack whore. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I remember that like it was yesterday. And I remember the Sabu, Terry Funk, barbed wire thing, like actually like gave me nightmares as a child um, or even as a teenager. And so, yeah, it was just like, you know, that was that was my exposure to that. But I was very in tune with ECW at its at that time you know like all the pay-per-views everything and then um and then the attitude era you know and then you know obviously nitro i was watching it all i was taping it all watching it very much into it got to meet stone cold steve austin once as a kid which was like crazy experience um and that was yeah it was amazing it was cool it was my life evan l l <laughs> let me ask you this question and, and i've talked to jerry and mikey about this and and I've described it, but I mean, I think with them being in the moment, it's different from the perspective of you and I. ECW mm -hmm. was like wrestling porn. 
What I mean by that is they did everything that the other companies wouldn't do. You know what I mean? They went to the extra mile. They said things that wasn't being said on the other shows. And I I remember saying this is Fight Club before Fight Club was a thing because it was just a bunch of crazy people beating the piss out of each other all the time. And it was, it was ruckus and it was wild. So would you agree that that kind of counterculture is what kind of turned you on to that? Because it was like you have the cartoon world of the WWF. And, of course, then you have the Southern Wrestling, which was WCW. And then all of a sudden you have this other company, which no holds barred, anything goes, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, women taking their clothes oh, off. Man. It was it was like literally – it was a dream for a young teenager to, to, to watch that. It was. It was. Uh, I had kind of the perfect analogy because when I, I was 16, I started working at video stores. Every I worked at a million video stores. And I basically like I, I would equate ECW or liking ECW um, as a kid was like you were hip to something that not everybody was hip to. Yes. You know, so it kind of made you like feel cooler than all the other wrestling fans because it was kind of like it was kind of getting into horror movies. Like when you're into horror movies, it's like, you know, all everybody else is like, you know, watching like all the mainstream like Scream and everything. But you're like into like the hardcore italian shit like you got the like crazy ass italian shit that like you know the, these people don't even know like people's faces getting ripped off and you know yeah. what i'm talking about and it's so, the japanese stuff the japanese stuff the, the killer exactly 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 yeah it was like you got that shit and then like not everybody else is like really on that same level so it made you feel cooler you know and that's exactly why i got into ecw like everyone i mean i love stone cold but everyone was like into steve but for me, I was trying to be cool. I was like, I'm a Sandman guy. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it was kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of what it was. It was like for the cool kids at that time. You know, that's how it felt. It felt like well, this was because, oh, because, well, just just like one more thing, too, is it also felt like this shit could be real. Yes. Like, you know, and, and it was a like. A lot of times it was too real. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it was. But I'm just saying, like, it had this aura of being like. You know, everything else you know that's happening on the Monday Night Wars or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, like, watching this, like, there's still that chance of, like, oh, my God. Like, th- I don't know, man. This, These guys really hate each other, and this could be real, you know? It was sort of a like an underground subculture that you had yes. to find them on some obscure channel at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's what I did. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and the first time anyone would see it, it was it would be such a culture shock. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like, what have I been missing? And then I have to also credit, I have to credit uh, ECW for also like my development as a metalhead. I just, I have to, because that was a huge thing for me too, because I was playing guitar at the time and like, you know, and like hearing Pantera with Rob and you were what, Jerry, you were Fear Factory? Is that what it was? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And like, you know, hearing all the other like jams that were coming out, out of that, you know, like, like I remember like what was Bam Bam with Scorpions and um, I'm trying, there was like amazing stuff. And so that definitely influenced me on like a music level too, like for sure, because everyone was using that, that stuff. Isn't that just a, a, I don't know what the right word to say is, but isn't that just a credit to what Paul Heyman was doing at that time? Like looking back at things in retrospect, you know, and playing armchair quarterback, he really knew what was going on. Like he had in his mind a vision of what he wanted to create. And when he created it, it was insane. It became something that people – it was must-see. You know, I, I know that phrase gets used a lot, but it was must-see TV, and you had to search for it to find it because my my parents had an old TV that had a UHF and a VHF dial, and I had to like – I had to maneuver both of the dials to get the fuzzy that you got, and then literally I would sit yeah. there two <laughs> inches away watching this stuff, hearing things that I probably shouldn't be, but it was just – I felt cool. So, <laughs> Wow. Let me, Mikey. Let me ask you this question here. Did you, and we might have talked about this before on the show, but did you realize at that time, like when Evan's talking like this, that that was the general consensus of when people were tuning in watching? Like, you guys definitely had something that was very different than what the WWF was providing. Yeah, it was dirty, grungy, smoky pool hall, bingo hall. It was, you know, it was just something different. You didn't get that slick production you got in wwe and ec and wcw Mm-mm. so it was definitely something that was you know and especially back the kids back then were angry you know nirvana fans and grunge was really a big thing so that was you know teenage angst so we you know paul just hit on it you know he just knew it was one of those things that was going to take off with the with the culture back then 
I have a question. If I can throw a question towards you, Mikey. Um, your t-shirt, your your taste in t-shirts caught my eye so much as a kid. Um, and even when I got into my twenties, you know, when I'm trying to like, you know, wear things that were cool another time. <laughs> and I've since tried to find a lot of that kind of that aesthetic of the shirts that you would wear. Like, what, how did you come across that type of that? That was like your thing. Or how did you find those like dragon shirts, those wraparound design shirts? What was that? Where did that start from? A buddy of mine. Storm and Norman actually got me one like regular everyday T-shirt because I wasn't wrestling back then. It was just like a Christmas present, you know what I mean? And when Paul asked me if I wanted to wrestle, I said okay. I said, well, I'm not going to go out there with no shirt on. You know, being <laughs> back then, 180 pounds, so I just wore that shirt I had in my bag, and I had the same one forever. And it just got to the point where it's just barely hanging on. So I went back to the flea market where my buddy bought one, and they had them all over the place. Uh, at, the, at this flea market. Wow. So, it, it was actually a company called Liquid Blue. And you can That's still get right. I have a few so. of them. Yeah, I have a few Liquid Blue shirts in this in my apartment right here. Because, like, and I always thought about you wearing them. I did. Seriously, whenever I find them. At one point, they sent me a bunch of them. Just, you know. Ah. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, almost like, I don't think I had, like, money all over it. And there was another takeoff on the dra the original dragon shirt where it was two dragons fighting. So it was it was just, you know, they, they had cool designs. Yeah, you know? and then and then every now and then I wear like a a superhero or a comic book. Or group kids are like, oh, that shirt's awesome, you know. So I got fans for kids who like Dungeons and Dragons and comic books. Yeah, absolutely. But, there, but, actually, I'm looking at it right now on the internet that Liquid Blue is still a thing. Yeah, and they actually just recently started putting out that original Dragon shirt again. Oh, I gotta get it. It's so interesting. Wow. That shirt is so iconic that Mikey wore. Is that uh, his action figure actually is wearing? A very detailed version of that uh, that red dragon shirt. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, wow, cool. The other one I had that was really cool is the one I forget exactly what it's called, but I actually had a conversation with Brian Pillman Jr. about this. Mm -hmm. But the shirt that his dad would wear. Well, the first one he got was for me because oh. I had that the shirt with the eyeball. Oh wow! I was wearing one. He thought it was cool, but I had like five of them. So. I gave him one. So the first one he was wearing on TV was actually mine and ECW first. And then oh, wow. Project. So there's a little trivia that he got his first, not popular shirt, I guess. I don't know. It's the one in like on the promo pictures for like WWE. WWF, right, I guess. right, right. Yeah, so. That's cool. Wow. I don't know if that one was mine, but the original one he got was mine. So oh, wow. the same one. Might have bought another one. I don't know. But. Oh, wow. Far out. Was there a situation or was there a, a moment where you ever got a chance to go to the ECW arena, Evan? Was there... Did you ever get to visit there, or no? Did, did Jerry? Did ECW ever run in Minneapolis? I think it did once, right? Or twice. twice. Once at the U of M, and then once at Roy Wilkins. Roy Wilkins. Wow. Saw Megadeth there like all the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever got a chance to see ECW live. Sadly, I don't think it ever happened for me, unfortunately. Or, oh, but I've, and I haven't been to the, the ECW arena since. We almost shot our interview with the Sandman there. But something fell through, and we just couldn't make it work. But, yeah, I've never been. It doesn't even feel like the same building anymore. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's completely different now. It's too nice now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you start off with the, the Brody one, which obviously were you guys yeah. were you guys nervous about when you were finished with that? Were you like, oh, man, this is the first one. I wonder how it's going to go over. Or did both you guys both say, no, we, we have a really good feeling about this? Well, we were we were fortunate at that time because we had most of 2017 to work on it because we just were we just were commissioned to make the pilot first. That was the first step, and so we just we were able to focus on one episode um, versus you know now we're working on basically all ten episodes at once, so it's really hard. But then we were just focusing on one, got to put all of our energy into it, and really make sure we got it right. And then um, yeah, and then we we did. You know, we finished it, we delivered it at the end of 2017, and then, you know, it took five or six months, I would say, before Vice made up their mind if they were going to bring this thing to a full series, and then, uh, or maybe it was a little bit less than that, maybe it was like four or five months, and then, and then we got the call that we're going to make this into a full season, and then we were off the races, and then we just, you know, uh, we're trying to figure out what stories we were going to tell and who we could get to tell them, and then we were just, you know, running around the country nonstop, shooting, shooting, shooting. When you guys decide to to do a story and you, you say, okay, this is the topic we're going to pick. This is the person we're going to focus on or whatever. How do you start lining up those phone calls? Is it something that you've just already made contacts with people or is it something where it's a lot of cold calling or now that you're, you've been doing it for a while, you have more contacts built up? 
Yeah, basically, um, you know, when we did season one, we just tried to find stories that, you know, fit the fit the themes of that blurred lines kind of aspect I was talking about earlier. Um, and you know, we, we, you know, you find that with the, with the macho man, Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth, they're kind of the same, or they have similarities in who they were in front of the camera and behind the camera. Um, you have the story about Gino Hernandez who, you know, was kind of a, uh, a guy who lived his gimmick and, you know, that also maybe led to his downfall and you have that. And then, uh, you know, certain stories like that where we could just kind of examine those themes. And then it was just kind of who can we talk to and like calling people on the phone and talking to them, who's going to be the best on camera, who's going to be the best storyteller um, and, and, or, or, who, or who's the most vital to the story, who's somebody that nobody else can tell this aspect of the story. And just about sketching that up and just, yeah, reaching out to people and depending on who they are, like, if they're used to talking on camera, like most wrestlers are, then it's it's a little easier. But if you're talking to family members who've lost loved ones, then it's a little bit trickier. And then we find ourselves in this area of you know really having to take our time and uh, develop relationships with these people, and sometimes spend time with them with no cameras at all, and, and just getting to know them as humans, which we did a lot um, th- uh, season one and of course this season t- as well. Who would you say that you guys probably connected with the most that uh, you just got along with them really, really well? Anybody in particular that you were like, wow, this person is uh, is a lot cooler than I thought? Um, Jim Cornette was probably one, I would say. Um, you know, Jim, it's, 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 it feels like a night off when we're working with Jim <laughs> because he's so good. Um, in terms of like, you know, uh, being a storyteller and he's so knowledgeable on most of the stories that, that we're covering. And it's literally just like, he knows exactly how to deliver like the right sound bite that we can use in the edit room. We always can kind of rely on him. Maybe we use him a little bit too much in the show, but like most of the times the reason for that is, is because literally he, he just, uh, is so entertaining and he's so knowledgeable at the same time. Um, and outside of that, we've probably been to his house like six times over the last couple of years. And every time he treats us so well and his wife treats us so well and they're just great just it's just it's always feels so awesome because we're there like not only to work but then we're also there to like you know dig through his comic books and dig through his true crime paperbacks and dig through his wrestling magazines and like his photographs and we get we, we're able to get super nerdy with him and it's it's fun it's just a he's a fun guy to be around he is definitely a a, a wrestling relic i mean when you think about somebody who's been jesus christ you just called him a relic <laughs> a relic holy shit <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's 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 been everywhere. He's worked basically, you know, when territories were still around. Now he's worked for all the major companies, and it's he's one of those guys who it's not surprising that he has a ton of stories. You know what I mean? So, and plus, he's got that that room that we've seen on TV, which is basically a, a small museum, yeah. which is unbelievable. Definitely amazing. So, yeah. with with season two, obviously, I can't believe you called him a relic. Uh, that's you're, it, you're get you're getting fucking blocked. I'm already blocked. <laughs> I'm already blocked by him. I oh, really? I, I got Thanks. blocked. I got blocked by Jim Cornette because Jim Cornette. Let me tell you a story. Was going off on Kenny Omega. Oh, we he went off on mm-hmm. Kenny Omega, and it was like I don't get why he's doing all this uh, wrestling with like uh, brooms and the uh, the small girl. If you've ever seen it, he, he wrestles like a nine year old girl. Well, anyway, I was just highly entertained by Kenny. I like Kenny a lot. And I was like, well, I don't get why you don't get it. And I just started to state some of my reasons. And he, uh, he called, yeah. he called me some expletives and, um, I was clean, but he kept me some expletives and then said, there, you're blocked MFR. And that was, that was the end of it. And I'm like, wow, I did not know that that conversation was going in that direction. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an opinionated guy for sure. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting cause his like digital persona I mean, obviously, I know there's instances where Jim's like, you know, he's gotten super hot and he's gone off on people and smacked people and stuff. But like, it's so it's interesting because you see his online persona and then like spending time with him. Like, he's literally one of the nicest people. I and I'm not just working y'all. Like, in terms of uh, the people that we work with and 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 spend time with. So, yeah, I don't know. He he's always a good stop on the road. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that. Um, comes to mind uh i mean we've hung with a lot of i mean godfather's awesome you know always love spending time with him and um i don't know there's there's tons of great people i'm sure i'm forgetting i mean kevin von eric was amazing kevin von eric was was uh just a trip to be around super just wise nice amazing dude i would say of all the guys that you've worked with you have you acquired any impersonations of any of the people or can you attempt any impersonations oh Oh man, um, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Feel free. I the floor is yours. There's so many. <laughs> the worse like, it is, the better. I used to do a really good Abdullah, but um, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a couple of funny stories with Abdullah that we uh, that we had, you know, because that you know talk about uh, we'll talk about a relic first of all, um, but <laughs> and his voice doesn't match his looks either. No, it's very very Kermity. Um, <laughs> but he uh, be frog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh, he worked us, man. He worked me so good. It's actually a funny story if you want to hear it. Absolutely. I'm sure you've heard, heard many uh, Abdul the Butcher stories. But basically, okay, when we were doing the pilot, you know, it was really the most nerve-wracking um, interview to schedule because we're just in, like trying to deal with him on the phone. I don't know if you guys have ever had to do that in your life, but it's, it's not simple. You know, it's not simple because <laughs> you might as well imagine, you know, the, 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 the Sunnis, you know, the, the man from the Sudan or whatever to cooperate but anyway so we scheduled the interview um and we're like by, i mean we're scared like jason and i were like kind of scared and very intimidated to meet him you know even at you know however old he is now 70 whatever you know we were intimidated for sure and we'd heard from a lot of people like he's he's done and said things to certain journalists and you know you just don't know like what you're gonna get with abdullah so i was like man we should take him out to dinner the night before just to like break the ice and just to, you know, try and see if we can establish like a rapport. So I'm thinking, well, we, we're going to Atlanta. Let's try and turn this into a positive. Maybe he knows. I just have this image in my mind that Abdullah might just know some legit place to go. Like he might know some legit like Atlanta barbecue spot to go, you know, whatever. So I called him and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, wherever you want, we're going to take you out wherever you want to go. Like, and I was like, do you know of any like really cool, like underground places we should check out or whatever? Cause we like that sort of thing. And then there was a long pause on the phone and he was just like, red lobster. And, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so red I'm just lobster. like, Oh, cause I, I, I fucking hate red lobster. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right. So we, so we go to red lobster <laughs> and he shows up, he shows up. And, you know, he's got the walker and the whole thing. It was just, you know, sad to see or whatever. But he, he comes in and he sits down. And it was like, again, it was such a hard dinner to try and fight through small talk to, like, find topics of conversation to have with Abdul the Butcher. And he just literally, like, um, he just, he just like, ordered everything. I mean, I mean, like, everything. Like, he ordered the whole menu. He was ordering meals because he's just because he knows we're paying for it. So he's ordering, like, five meals to go. He's ordering... No. Like you know, all the oh drinks. He's like working the. He's like working the 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 waiter to like you know try and see if they can get he can get more from them because he's Abdul the butcher. Like he's just working the everyone at Red Lobster. And I'm telling you, I think it, I can't remember how much it was. It was an insane bill. Like it was it was mental. But it's fine. It's cool. You know, whatever. Abdul the butcher. And um, so anyway, uh, we're fighting for small talk. We're fighting. And I, he starts talking about – I'm trying to find areas that I can connect with him, you know, like as a human. And he's talking about like he just sold some merchandise. You know, he sold some merchandise and made some money. And my dad was in the music business, you know, back in Minnesota. And so I was just like, well, you know, my dad, you know, he just also sold some merchandise recently that, you know, from back when he was a, when, when he was a manager. And uh, I don't know. And I, I was trying to like give him advice. I don't know what I was doing. I was fighting for small talk here. <laughs> but I could, I could see him like totally – trying to figure me out and like, Ooh, this kid, I don't like, you know, like he was, he was peering through my soul basically at this moment. So then we finished the meal, like a gazillion dollar check, you know, whatever. <laughs> he takes all the meals to go and we part ways and get to the next morning when we're doing the interview. Now I know his reputation of being a hustler. Okay. Like I, I knew this going in, you know, I'm not born yesterday, you know? So I had some Abdullah, the butcher hustle money set aside, literally in the budget. There was like a little <laughs> bit of Abdullah, like hustle, hustle money, money. Like, like set aside just because you know, I knew I was going to get hustled at one point in time. I just knew it. I was waiting for it to come. So before we do the interview, we have the the like release forms, you know, that I, I need him to sign before we can do the interview and blah, blah, blah. So I put it in front of him. And I should mention that he has two people that were living with him that were assisting him. You know, like one guy was this really cool dude named Tony who was like washing his car out front like over and over again. And there was another lady, I can't remember her name, but she was living in his house with him. And the, the room was all leopard print. Like her room was floor to ceiling leopard print. Being in Abdullah the Butcher's house was one of the craziest places I've ever seen. Like it was amazing. I just loved it. I loved it. Like there was a whole room that was just porcelain panthers. Like it was incredible. <laughs> anyway, so here we are and... And he's 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 scrutinizing every bit of this language of the release forms. That's cool. It's fine. 
And then he calls out both of his people that live with him, the in-home help. He calls them out. And he's like, I got to just talk to this man one-on-one, you know. And so then we, we start talking and he's like, listen, I let you into my house. I don't let anybody into my house, you know, and start basically cutting a promo, you know. And he's it's like, I've let you do this and I've let you do that. I'm going to need some more money from you. You know, and he starts going into the whole, like, I, now the hustle's starting, you know. So I'm like, okay, I'm prepared for this, you know. So I go into the, I'm like, okay, I, I understand. Look, so then, um, and he starts pushing and he's pushing. And he's like, I got to pay these people in my house. I can't, what am I supposed to do with all these people here? And, <laughs> you know, I got to take care of these people. And he's working, he's working. Like, okay. So I go out of the room and I pretend to make a phone call and I, with the head office, air quotes. And, um come back and say, good news, I just talked to the head office, and they, they agree with you that, you know, we, you, know, you let us shoot in your home, and so, you know, so I had I had some money set aside, and, um, and then he starts haggling with me, and he goes higher, he doubles, he's like saying no, like, if I'm saying $200, he's like, 400 and I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm like, no, like, I don't, I don't have that money, like, now you're talking about money, because he's not talking, he doesn't see company, and he's like, sure. you know, because he's, you know, whatever, and I'm like, I, I three, and I'm like, I can't, like, $200, 350 you know, or whatever, and we're just, like, going back and forth, <laughs> and then I said, drives a hard bargain. he does, and so I said, I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do whatever the m- amount was, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get you, you're going to be talking about all of this Brody shit, you're, I'm going to be getting you with the fork in your goddamn mouth, you know, <laughs> Like I'm, I'm getting all this shit, you know, and um, and then and then he really goes in for the for the like goes for the emotion where he takes out his chain wallet, he opens up his wallet, and he shows me that he has nothing inside his wallet, you know. He's like, "Come on, I got nothing here, man. You gotta help me out," you know. And so then, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, but you know, getting you with the fork in the mouth. If I do this, and I start going to my wallet, I take out the money, and he takes the cash from me. And he puts it in, starts, as soon as he starts putting it in his wallet, he goes, you should have never told me about your father. And I was like, oh, what? Was that it? Was that like the tell, you know, that you think I'm this guy who's got all this money or whatever? And he's like, no, I would have got you anyway. <laughs> that's and then I told insane. Him, I'm still stuck at Red Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> but that's an old school hustle, man. That's like old school shit, you know, and it was cool. I mean, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it's a rite of passage, I guess. What a coincidence. I need to have hustle money set aside for Pam. Yeah. Get your hustle money set aside, man. It helps you. It does. That's, wow. That's, that's nookie money. Yeah. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Sorry, that was a long-winded story, but you asked me if I had any impressions, and that was the one that came to mind. No, that is fantastic. That was, that was worth it. That was awesome. Um, I had to keep muting myself because I just kept hearing you say Red Lobster <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Red Lobster! <laughs> yeah. I did not wow. see that coming. Yeah, oh, that's that's where we, I mean, that's where he he had the keys to the kingdom and could have gone anywhere. And it was Red Lobster was where we ate. And man, it was. I mean, we put that so we had so much. I wish you could. There was a photo of all of the go boxes that he had. How much was the, the bill? Oh, I wish I could remember. It was at, it was like six hundred. It was it was a lot. It was like serious. It was a lot. Oh it was God. a lot. It was because then he had like his the helpers come and then they ate. And then they had meals they were bringing home and everything. I'm, I'm available for season three. I know, right? Now I'm now I'm exposing the business here. Now I'm exposing the business here. That is unbelievable. Like I I don't know. Like if somebody, but once again, we, we talked about this before. Wrestlers are just it's different. It's just different. Well, that his era, his era for sure. What, Jerry, what did you tell me a wrestler's favorite word is? Gratis, which means you pay nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so basically free man yeah let me ask you this all the guys that you've talked to and you've worked with and you know obviously have to have shot hours on hours of interview footage we've often heard and i don't think this applies to mikey or jerry but do a lot of the guys have little shrines of themselves i mean you don't have to name names i'm just saying you ever gone into someone's home and they have almost a shrine of themselves because there was a story about or it wasn't even a story. It was on the uh, the Bret Hart wrestling with shadows, and he was in his basement playing pool, and he's got his own friggin' shrine. Like, I, I get ego to some degree, but am, am I saying am I making sense here? Have you ever come across that where someone's home literally has a shrine to them, and like all their shits on the wall? You know what's funny about that is that the question that wrestlers ask me about other wrestlers' homes a lot. You know, <laughs> which which is funny because wow. like Mick, 
Mick Foley asked me that question. I remember he was like, when you go to other people's homes, do they have, you know, other like like kind of this insecurity? Like, you know, should I feel bad if I have this thing? But I mean, Mick doesn't have anything from his career on his walls. I mean, he's got just Santa shit everywhere, you know, which is which is cool. <laughs> but that's like his thing. But, you know, like, uh, but yeah, no, Brett definitely wins, I think, in that in that contest. Um, but uh, I, I don't think so. I don't I don't think there's a lot. I, I have seen a lot. I was definitely surprised to see how much stuff New Jack had of that was, was you know, because he just did the he just did the After Dark show, which, you know, we, we didn't film New Jack's interview at his home. We um, we, we brought him to another location, but. On the, on the After Dark special they did after our show ran, you could see him from his home, and he's got all these New Jack figures on the wall and New Jack stuff. And I thought that was funny because, you know, he kind of doesn't like to open up about being a wrestling fan, but it's, you know, kind of funny. <laughs> wow. I have nothing. Nothing? Me neither. No. Yeah. I have, uh, I probably still have a box of VHS tapes. That's, cool though. That's cool, though. Tapes and, and photos. are labeled, probably. <laughs> Un- that's cool that's legit yeah Un- unmarked vhs tapes like in the garage or something but that's cool yeah definitely I, I remember having a conversation with mikey and, and jerry when we first started to talk about doing a show and i was like oh what kind of stuff do you got thinking that you know maybe i can purchase something or whatever i'm on the inside now and he's like yeah i think my wife has a box of something in the garage but i mean that's basically it and i asked jerry I was like do you have any more of your your outfits and whatnot and he's like no i don't i mean he kept a couple of things just for his own personal collection but sure the funny thing about this is mikey and jerry are, are the most down-to-earth dads that they're wrestlers <laughs> but you you don't feel like you're talking to this this ego person if that makes sense like you're not it, they just don't come across that way so it's it's like it doesn't even cross my mind but so when i hear stories like this it's just it blows my mind like wow there are people out there that it is what it is i guess yeah hey, you I took me to red lobster you you, you ever interview me we're going to goddamn taco bell i'll have <laughs> $7.99 on that bill yeah man sure no problem i got to warn you <laughs> Get your hustle money ready because we're going to Morton's Steakhouse. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, well, or we can go. We can go back to yeah. We can go to Minnesota. We can go to uh, what, what is it? Manny's. We can go to Manny's. Oh yeah. We can go to Silver Butter Knife. I've never go. been there. Silver Butter Knife? No. Oh, that's that's my spot. If oh. we're ever there, we can go. Is it still there? That's been there forever. I think it is still there. Yeah, it is still there. Yeah. Oh man, we shot all of the Road Warriors episode back in Minneapolis. The, uh, really? the season yeah that was the idea was like kind of to do like a homecoming episode for you know like just to do something about you know minnesota so we brought joe uh, joe scott norton uh paul i mean paul lives in minnesota but brought him down to minneapolis and and brought all interview those wayne bloom for that didn't interview wayne no we interviewed nikita paul scott joe and we also interviewed eddie sharkey oh wow yeah were you trained by eddie at all just being a minnesota no. guy no no, yeah. I was trained by Brad Rangens, but okay. I worked did a lot ton of shows for Eddie though. Oh really? Uh, Eddie, real quick story about Eddie Sharkey because I have to. He's amazing. He trained the Road Warriors and tons of other wrestlers. Everybody knows. Uh, so Eddie, we went to his apartment to do the interview, and um, I don't know the subject of like Japan just came up. You know, we were just talking about like Japan or whatever. And uh, we talked about Ribera. We're just talking, it just comes up, you know. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think I got one of those jackets here somewhere, you know, like a Ribera jacket. And, and he's, like, oh, he's like, I can't find it. Like, he just couldn't find it, and he was really upset that he couldn't find it. Anyway, we leave the interview. We say goodbye to Eddie. He calls me, and he goes, hey, I just found that Ribera jacket, and I just really want you to have it. And I'm like, wow. Nice. Wow. And so I like drove right back to his apartment. I was like, you really don't have to do this. I can't accept this. And he's like, no, I really want you to have it. And it was like this 1980 something like Ribera, uh, unbelievable jacket that he just was like on a fluke was like, yeah, just take it, kid. You know? So, wow. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of the cooler items picked up on the road for sure. Oh, yeah. And Eddie's got a ton of stories, too. He was always fun to, to hang with. You've heard the eyeball story, right? Wait. Tell tell me it again. Come back. <laughs> it, I think 1970, 71, they're working a show in Denver and Harley Race. The way that I understood the story, it was kind of confusing, but basically there was a moment when a fan started attacking Harley Race. And uh, Eddie Sharkey's there and this fan is going in and they just beat this guy down to the ground. Like, and, and, like, and like Eddie's telling us the story. 
And he's like, yeah, so I just kicked him in the head, you know, which is normal for the times, you know, <laughs> or whatever. I just like <laughs> kicked him straight in the head. And I'm going down to reach for his eyeball is, is what he said. And then, th- then I realized that, oh, Harley's already taken his eyeball out. So my fingers just went into an empty socket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 oh my God. and I was like, wait a minute. Like you're like, you like was, the eyeball disconnected or like what how what happened and he's like oh i don't know haven't you ever had your fingers inside someone's eye socket before you know (laughs) wow yeah and then of course the story about him shooting up Vern Vern gagne's uh office is is incredible too oh yeah yeah Yeah. that one yep yeah that one's infamous yes yeah so he he's great he was great did he try and sell you anything out of the trunk of his car no, he gave me the jacket, which is... Oh, you know. well, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, every yeah. show, every time he ran a show, he'd we'd, you'd be in the locker room, and he'd ask the, the whole locker room, anybody need any shoes? <laughs> Amino acid? <laughs> pop Amino acid. Trunk. I bought many jars of amino acids <laughs> from him, but... And I believe I never it. realized, oh, I didn't find God. out until years later, that he'd already once been busted by the fbi for fencing stolen goods they had him on videotape you know in alleyways and stuff selling stuff out of his trunk oh my god i believe it i'm wondering here we are years later we're he's still doing it and i thought i wonder if i'm on any video footage in the fbi's office (laughs) yeah he's definitely comes from that era you know like he comes from yeah he definitely has some ties and has done some questionable but you know amazing things yeah you guys have a, another big episode coming up. It's the Brawl for All, and really interestingly enough, Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipper are going to be uh, going to be doing a host party watching Brawl for oh All. Oh my so god! Can you give us a little uh, a little inside, little sneak peek on what we may see in the Brawl for All? Episode? <laughs> wow! Yeah, for sure. So when we were planning out season one, actually, we were like kind of we were just talking about all the episodes that we were going to cover, all the stories we were going to cover. And um, we just wanted to try and cover a more diverse um, kind of realm of stories. Cause some of these stories you tell are so tragic and they, they, they end up in major loss. And, you know, we wanted to try and do something that, you know, just felt different, you know, where, where a story where someone maybe doesn't die in the end, you know, and it's, it's, it's just a, exploring a different side of this business, but still kind of talks about, you know, reality, meeting wrestling fiction and that whole thing. And so someone pitched the brawl for all, all as an idea and i was like oh my god do you think we could get an hour out of the brawl for all you know um and so we started um putting it together and it really didn't click until we really talked to bart gunn and bart gunn is kind of the uh a wrestler who's kind of fallen by the wayside um probably because of this you know and 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 when we got to know his story uh, which really was kind of this like hero's journey of a guy who probably was going to get released from his WWF contract after kind of being pretty inactive for, for 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 a little bit of time, and you know he didn't seem like the type of guy who was well suited for the Attitude Era, you know, when the direction the company was going, and he saw the Brawl for All as an opportunity to really kind of try and prove himself because they're going to do this tournament that's a, a shoot fight, you know, which is this crazy concept to do like on on a on a worked card, as they say. And uh, and he, you know, basically following his journey and going through this tournament and thinking that this is going to be the th- thing that finally gives him that big push. And then he does prove himself in more ways than one, but then finds that there's, you know, even more hurdles and, and more consequences for doing that along the way. And so that just became a very interesting story. But not only that, it was kind of a vehicle to get into talking about the philosophy of wrestling and what it can be, you know, and, you know, you have two very different ideologies in wrestling, maybe two ideologies that can't get even further, you know, apart than Jim Cornette and Vince Russo, you know, and so this story kind of becomes a vehicle for that, you know, where it's like how, you know, someone who's basically trying to constantly reinvent wrestling to be something that isn't wrestling, and then to have someone holding on to try and keep it as this, you know, as, as sacred and, you know, as it should. And then you kind of see those ideologies battling in the ring, you know, just as you're seeing these guys knock each other out. And at the same time, it is a dark story. It is a dark story about guys who kind of naively are getting in the ring and, you know, thinking they're kind of living out their tough guy fantasies in this realm. But 
when you have screwy rules and you have things that can go awry, I mean, there was a lot of injuries and a lot of people got messed up. A lot of careers got shortened because of this. And so it kind of looks into that aspect too. So it's, it's definitely a wild ride and I'm pretty, pretty, pretty stoked on how it came out. Uh, how, like, you know, for, for kind of, it maybe as a little skeptical as I was going into it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's an, an amazing story and definitely one of the more memorable interview moments. I think of season two is in this episode too, which is cool. Yeah, I couldn't believe that, uh, you know, when I when I first heard about Brawl for All, um, you know, back in the Attitude Era, I couldn't believe they would actually do something like that. Jerry, Mikey, let me ask you guys this question. When you heard that they were going to let the guys truly shoot on each other, do you just, as a, as a performer, do you just shake your head and go, I, this, what the hell's going on here? Because just to me, that makes no sense at all because you're going to get a bunch of people who are your big-time performers injured pretty quickly. Not only that, I thought it was going to be a separate thing. Like, I didn't know it would be on during Raw. <laughs> yeah. You know, where you have all these work matches, okay, and then you have these guys out there looking like shit in these matches where they're getting hurt. Like like, like Evan said, the wacky the, the rules, you can do this, you can't do this. And I'm like, how the fuck is that going to work? It's amazing like, that that got greenlit. It's pretty wild. Well, plus you're telling the fans the rest of your show is bold. But this yes. one here, this is the real deal. But the rest of it's just, you know, to pay no attention to it. <laughs> yeah. But so I thought that was a little silly. Yeah. That's like, I, like in, I said, uh, I thought it was going to be so It's like in TNA when they had AJ wrestle that MMA guy and they took all the ropes down and the crowd started chanting, we want wrestling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it proved like. You know when it is when it is a hundred percent a shoot, it's it's not uh, it's not nearly as, as as entertaining and and it's 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 weird. Like I remember as a kid watching it on t- Raw when it happened and being like, I don't understand what I'm seeing here. What is this? Because they didn't even they didn't even like really trying to explain it that well. It just kind of happened. Like all of a sudden they were just like you know just, they just like put some clips on the on the ropes and made it look like a boxing ring and then. <laughs> guys just kind of came out there and but it just looked weird and yeah it just didn't make any sense but i mean there were kind of like mma guys on the car or like you know on the roster at the time and so like maybe it was like them trying to do that but yeah it was very weird but then it became a little more exciting when bart was the one who was really kind of putting on the show um but then of course you know when you see what happens at wrestlemania how what it culminates into um which i won't spoil but man that was uh it's just it's it's a wild thing that happened in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, completely caught uh, a lot of people off guard with the fact that, like you said before, that that got greenlit. And uh, well, it is what it is, and we're happy that it happened <laughs> to some degree. Obviously, not wanting people to get injured, but it does make for a compelling story. It's going to make for awesome television that's going to be airing tomorrow night. I can't wait for this. Like this is going to be good. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a fun ride. It's it's uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, once you see like. Uh, you know <laughs> what what this company actually did. I mean, because a lot of people really kind of do look at the Attitude Era as this infallible time in WWF. But I mean, man, there there were some stinkers in there too. <laughs> they had the, the strong characters on top that carried it, where you can kind of forget some of the shitty stuff. Right. They had you know. epic characters. That's yep. for sure. Evan, let me ask you this: When you're not doing wrestling stuff, you're not producing this and in telling your your stories in your genre, what do you do? Is there anything that you like to watch uh, just to kind of escape? Because, I mean, obviously during this quarantine time, it, it it sucks. I'll be honest with you. I mean, there's only so much you can do when you're inside. But anything that you've watched that you've found that's just really, really entertaining? Anything oh, man. jumps right off at you? Oh, my God. Um, well, you know, I am a, uh, an avid movie watcher. Um, as, busy, as busy as I am with the show and you know, I've been I've been immersed in wrestling for the past three years, like pretty heavily between all the 16 episodes of the show that we've done. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always I'm always watching shit. I definitely watch weird stuff. Like I'm a weird like I watch a lot of like you know I, I don't know things that probably were meant for no one. Like I watch a lot of those <laughs> things. Um, so, um, but uh, man, what have I watched recently? Oh my god. Um right now like I went through a phase of like watching a lot of 90s erotic thrillers is what I'm watching right now. I mean you've asked a you've asked a weirdo what he's watching. So, you know, um yeah, what's an erotic thriller? That's Naked Furries with holes in the ass. Hey, well, hey, hey, hey now. Mom. I am not 
<laughs> officially a, a furry yet. You don't know what a furry is, do do you, Evan? Of course, yeah, of course I do, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. I'm not officially one. Bullshit. You said yeah. God, what is a recommendation Mo- I can even make? Yeah, what would be a recommend for an erotic thriller? I, okay, was um, was an erotic thriller the Pamela Anderson movie that came out in like the late night? Was Barbed Wire? Wire no, considered. Oh, that's more of an, an action movie. Like Basic Instinct is like the is like the Citizen Kane of erotic thrillers, you know. Um, so, oh man, I, I but see this is the thing. It's like you know, does anybody really want to see this stuff? Um, <laughs> like that, like I. I do like the things that I'm fascinated with, like you know, um, man. Um, let me well, let me think. Th- let me let me try and think of something that's like actually. Oh well, I've been watching a lot of cop movies, like a lot of the old cop movies. I've been watching okay. a lot of those. Um, I I've put together a list of movies. Maybe I can send it to you guys of like 70s and 80s gems that are good during quarantine to watch. Like movies you probably never would have thought were like amazing, and I've put that together. Like Dolomite. Um, I love I love Dolomite. I mean, I love that. I, I love documentaries. I love a lot of crazy documentaries. Um, uh, Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. Jerry, have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, the Metal Gear? Is that Gears? Mel Brooks? No, no. Oh. That's the documentary about, like, the rise of hair metal in in L.A., and it portraits, like, all of these oh, really what? sad I, characters. <laughs> I want to see that. What's it called? When, I gotta write it down. It's called The Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's got Ozzy was making breakfast. Yes, Bing, and the the guy drunk in the pool. Yes, from Wasp. Yeah, exactly. Jerry, I can't believe you haven't seen this. Yeah, yeah, I have. I can't remember. It sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah, you got to see it. It's you remember the you remember the guy from Wasp? He was sitting in the pool on the on like in the the pool chair, just drinking out of drinking vodka, and his moms are watching him yelling at. Yeah, yeah. Chris Holmes. Chris Holmes. Chris Holmes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Chris Holmes is very infamous scene where yeah he's basically drinks an entire bottle of vodka like in a like a little pool floaty. He's like I'm on top of the world, ma. Fuck you, and like and then it's like very depressing. Um, have you guys ever seen Hands on a Hard Body? You ever no. seen that? Do you know what this is? No. This is not an erotic thriller. This is a documentary. This is a real story about. Oh, okay. About about a real contest that they had in Texas where they would like audition <laughs> 16 people uh, to win a brand new truck. And they could win this truck, but they had to keep their hands on, like one oh, hand on the truck sure. at all times. Yep. And then, and then the last person who has their hand on it wins the truck, you know. But this contest lasts for like five days, and people start to get like hallucinatory, and they start like losing functions and everything, and they're just desperately trying to win this car. How do you use the bathroom? Or eat? you get they have like little fifteen minute breaks, like here and there, okay. like. And and like for that, but every other person is giving your Are you supposed to stand the whole time, or can you sit or lay? Stand. Okay. (laughs) It's mental. So that that's always fun. I love eccentric shit like that. You know. Um. Actually. Yeah. yeah, Um. There's another documentary that uh, one more I'll give you, then I'll I'll let you guys free of my 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 grasp here. But there was one documentary I watched that uh, reminded me of professional wrestling. And like the art of a promo. There's a documentary from the early 70s called Marjo, which is about this uh, preacher, this guy who actually grew up as a child evangelist. So when he was like six years old, he was like cutting evangelist promos. Um, <laughs> and uh, he grew up basically you know, into his 20s and became this preacher. And he actually invited a camera crew along with him to kind of show the inside artistry of like basically – giving you know preaches and doing this thing and cutting you know and it's amazing seeing the process of this guy like going into like delivering these wild you know sermons that he's doing around in the south you know and so that was pretty interesting too you're gonna have to give me a list i will i mean i i grew up in you know working in video stores my whole life so like this this kind of my it's 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 my it's my real vibe outside of all this stuff i gotta ask you evan Mm -hmm. you know I, i can't let you go without without saying this okay your TV producer, successful show. What do you think about another show that's that's been pretty successful recently? Mr. Joe Exotic. Oh, got to oh, get your take on oh, this. Seems like everyone has their take on Joe. I, I got to hear it. I got to hear If you guys were shooting it, okay, would would that have been the angle you took? What was your take All on right, the All right, so Joe I'm going to disappoint thing? you greatly here because I haven't had the chance to watch it yet because good. we're still working on the show. Well, <laughs> Did you say good? I, I told you. I, I tapped out on it. I got a couple episodes in and said, 
I, I just can't. One of the things that I okay, so I haven't had the chance to watch it yet because we're still working <laughs> so much on delivering season two and 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 that obviously I'm hearing so much about it. But what I will say that was really cool to see online. I mean, because I I mean I I know about it. I know that its impact is having on pop culture right now and everything. But I will say that it made it. I definitely popped when I'm seeing people on Twitter saying that. The people in this New Jack episode of Dark Side of the Ring are fucking crazier than all the people on fucking <laughs> Joe Exotic put together, you know? <laughs> that is so, uh, <laughs> Yep. Wow. That's, That's intense. Joe Exotic. Tiger King. Well, I I tell you what, we are so thankful that you've uh, you've taken some time to come out and, and chat okay. with us and spend some cool. time on the show. Um, guys, please, please check out Dark Side of the Ring, Vice, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Brawl for All, get all your stuff done, whatever you are doing during this quarantine, and make sure you are ready to watch it. We are excited as all get out, so Evan, thank you so much. Um, how can people follow you on social media if they want to get a hold of you? What uh, What's the place? Yeah, you can follow me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Evan Husney, just my name, and you can follow the show um, at Dark Side of Ring on Twitter and Dark Side of the Ring on Instagram. And we're always posting stuff, behind the scenes stuff, and cool photos that all that all these wrestlers have given us um, and that we scanned over the course of this whole show. And uh, you know, hopefully, we'll be able to. And then our, our podcast that we're doing with Conrad, which is on the Grill and Jr. feed, that's where you'll get to hear more things like the Red Lobster story that I think you guys you guys like that's over with you guys and oh, that was um, awesome yeah and we'll have we have more of that stuff i mean just just the stories alone making the new jack episode could be its own scripted uh series on netflix as well so um yeah wow well evan we appreciate it dude is there any chance we can twist your arm to come on back and tell some more stories oh sure man whenever you guys want yeah of course awesome awesome all right thank you guys all right man we all will right. talk to you soon all right yeah take it easy wow that is evan husney from Dark Side of the Ring. That was awesome. Like that uh, <laughs> that, that story uh, about Abdul the Butcher. I'm probably gonna. He had he had the perfect pause mm-hmm. <laughs> before saying Red Lobster. Oh my god, that was a good impersonation too. He did that sound like Kermit too. <laughs> and I, I could just see Abby's face with his eyes bulging out of his head with a big oh, yeah. smile. Red Lobster. I couldn't. I. I can't. I can't believe it. I mean, of everywhere to go. I mean, I didn't see that coming. To each his own. Speaking of which, and uh, we mentioned it during the interview with with Evan, guys. I am really excited to share this with you. And if you've been following Jerry and Mikey on social media, you have seen that we are teaming up with Vidgo today uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You guys are going to be able to watch it with Mikey and Jerry. All you got to do is follow them on social media, follow the directions, and uh, guys, tell us how crazy is it going to be tomorrow night watching Brawl for All with all the fans. It's, it's going to bring back some good memories. I plan on having a couple cocktails. <laughs> Firing this bad boy up. Uh, speaking of cocktails, uh, Mikey sent me a text message, and he said, Jerry, you were giving him <laughs> shit about... Uh, about Coors Light, what, what's your deal here, pal? Are you, are you becoming a beer snob? or? I am a beer snob. That's not a beer. Jerry? <laughs> what the fuck do you want me to do? Fucking viruses everywhere out there. I'm not allowed to leave my house and speak out. I'll walk through the thing. I took what I can get. I want you to drink like three blittering idiots before we do the next show. I'll go oh, wow. Button gets some- Oh, wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll fuck it. I don't care. Is that a challenge? Let's do it. Oh, I know wow. you'll do it. All right. uh, I got to get going, guys. We go. Uh, here we go. Jerry's got to get ready for bed. Or <laughs> That's fine, Jerry. It's it's You've been out working in the yard all day today. Remember, Jerry, you have an appointment from 9 and 10, your time. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be no problem. So, Tuesday, a little news app. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just might. <laughs>
Oh, man. Once again, Dark Side of the Ring tonight. God, why do I keep doing this tonight? Tuesday night on Vice, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. Tonight, Mikey and Jerry, follow them on social media. You can follow all the directions right there. We are teaming up with Vidgo. They are changing the way TV is being watched. Awesome company. Guys, check it out. You, uh, When you sign up, you get three free days, and their app is so user-friendly. Their new tagline is going to be, it's so easy, even Jerry Lynn can use it. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we will find out. Oh. You know, we can't We can't be 10 minutes ago. Where's Jerry? Yeah, it's not going to work there. Try and, <laughs> I better try and get on about a half hour early, just in case, huh? I would concur. That might not be a bad idea. I, w- <laughs> I would agree. Take your shower early. Jerry, you usually eat dinner about, what, 4th in the afternoon nowadays? Is that right about right? No. No. That's on Sunday, and it's called supper. No. <laughs> it's called supper. Right. I'm waiting for it, and normally it would be off the senior section and the menu at Denny's, right? Is that what you're going to say next? 55 plus moons over no. Miami. Wow. So just a word to the wise, if uh, if any wrestling fan gets out there and has a chance to have uh, a meal with Abdullah the Butcher, uh, stay clear of uh, any seafood places. He'll uh, he'll take you to the bank on that one. I'm, cha- I'm changing my, my, my Twitter picture. Oh. <laughs> not the whole, just gonna, I'm not going to change the picture. I'm going to change my name. <laughs> oh, this is I'm tremendous. I'm going to change it. Because I had the cook, I had the turtles there for a while. And I had the cookies. Right now, I'm going to change them to fucking lobsters. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. If you enjoy what we're doing, cruise on over to iTunes. Leave us some reviews. Let us know your feedback. You liking the show? Let us know what you thought about the interview with Evan Hosney. Dark side of the ring. We love the show. All right. Anything else? Anything else I should do? Should I'm going to skip the shout-outs this week? I just thought I would let you know. Oh. Skipping the shout-outs, because I know Mikey hates that completely. We'll do the shout-outs on VidGo tomorrow for our, our fans. That's out. right. If yeah, come on, That's right. Oh, if you yeah. want a shout-out, go to VidGo, hang out with Mikey and Jerry. It is going to be fun. You know these two are going to be grumpy old men together. It's going to be hilarious. Plus, it's Brawl for All, the biggest clusterfuck in the history of wrestling. I mean, this is going to be an awesome story. I I saw some of the previews for this and it's just like I, I wow. That's all I can say. So Alright. Alright, with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We will catch you next time on Front Row Material. The world of NLW radio never stops. <laughs>